Good morning, and Happy New Year. It is the first Sunday of Advent, which marks the beginning of a brand new year uh, in the liturgical calendar. So if you were here last week, you know that we uh, celebrated Christ the King Sunday, which is the end of the story. In the end, Christ returns God reigns, Christ sits on his throne forever and ever, he rules over all people, all nations, as you heard in the Advent reading this morning, that's where we're going, that's where the history of the universe is heading, and so it's appropriate at the end of a liturgical year that we celebrate God's rule in the world. But just as sure as January the 1st of a new year follows December the 31st, Advent follows Christ the King. And so it is the first Sunday of a brand new year, and so, Happy New Year. There you go. So you learned something already this morning, and I haven't even read the scripture yet. So um, I, uh, I will be reading from um, uh, Matthew. Uh, I am going to invite you to stand again, even after you just got comfortable. Uh, Matthew's Gospel today, chapter 24. I'll begin reading with uh, verse 36. Jesus said... But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. We'll get back to that. Until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on that day, on what day, your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an expected hour. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we've come to this place on this day by your grace, on this a brand new year. As is our custom, we begin the year in preparation and in looking forward to that time when Christ will come, where the kingdom will come in its fullness and Christ will reign forever. God, be with us in this moment and let us hear with fresh ears this message that it might affect how we live each day. In Jesus' name, amen. So the message at the end of the year is always Christ will reign, and one of the signs of Christ's reign, or God's reign in the world, is peace. And you heard it from Isaiah's words that they read in the uh, Advent, that... um, Christ will come, there will be no more war, nations will no longer need weapons, and there will be peace. And since we know 
as of the time that you left home to come here, uh, there is not peace in the world. And so we turn the page and begin again this cycle of the Christian year. Just like the seasons of fall and winter and summer and spring, and we look forward to it and we know that it's coming and we know when it passes, this too is the beginning of a new season in our spiritual lives. So we find ourselves at the beginning this Advent season. And contrary to what our culture tells us, Advent is not Christmas. It's just not. So so hold on a minute and let's pause before you get all caught up in the things of Christmas and the traditions of Christmas. Advent is a time of preparation of a different kind. It's a season of hope and an expectation. It begins on the first Sunday following Thanksgiving, and it goes for four Sundays right up to the day we celebrate, once again, the birth of baby Jesus. And our scripture passage is one of those that are customary for this Sunday. When we hear from Jesus on this day, his message is always about the end, the end of times as we know it. His is a a forward-looking message spoken near the end of his time on earth with his disciples. Matthew and and Mark both uh, share this passage in the context of what Jesus, um, what is called Jesus' apocalyptic discourse. It comes the week of what we call Holy Week after Jesus' triumphal entry into uh, Jerusalem. Everybody celebrated his arrival and uh, before his arrest in the garden later on in the week. He goes immediately to the temple, and, and he creates a disturbance by turning over the tables of the money changers and those who are, are selling goods there, a symbolic cleansing. And he then has this skirmish with the Pharisees that kind of escalates into his pronouncement of these woes against them and their hypocrisy. And then he laments Jerusalem, the city that kills its prophets. And then Matthew tells us Jesus leaves the temple. He came out of the temple and was going away. We should not miss the symbolism here. Jesus came. He went to that holy site. He pronounced uh, judgment on the Um, the leaders of the temple for their hypocrisy and then he departed there is representing in in that section there there is this absence of God for a time and it is in that context that Jesus begins to speak of the end The eschaton, as it is called, it's where eschatology comes from, the study of the end of times. When the Son of Man will return and rule over all people and all nations. And when Jesus describes the events leading up to the ending, his words are often what we call apocalyptic. They're of destruction. How things will change in that transition before the kingdom comes in its fullness. And it is not going to be pretty 
for some. It will be jubilant for others. We would recognize this kind of language as we read Daniel and and certainly in the revelation of John at the end of the Bible. Jesus speaks of wars and rumors of war, the persecution of the saints and, and the desolation of the holy place. And this, t- this discourse that lasts several chapters is it's triggered by one of the disciples commenting on how beautiful the temple is. Jesus, look how beautiful this place is. Look how large these stones are to which Jesus begins to talk about its destruction. Not what they had hoped for thinking that Jesus was about to become king then. So the idea of not only would he not become king, but the temple would be destroyed, that holy place, it kind of caught him off guard. He wants the disciples to know, and us, that that day, the, the day of his return, will happen. It is certain Maybe not immediate, as we would hoped, but it is certain. But the truth is that immediacy is a matter of perspective. You may remember the psalmist who wrote that a day to God is like a thousand years, or a thousand years are but a day to God. So really, Jesus has only been gone for a couple days, right? Immediacy is not the issue. Certainty is what Jesus wants us to hear in this text. The slowness slowness of the Lord's return is to be interpreted as patience of God. Each day that passes and one more soul is saved from destruction by responding to the call of the Holy Spirit to repentance and belief in Jesus Christ as Savior is a, is a celebration in the heavenly realms. So for Jesus, when is not important. What is important is that it will, in fact, happen. And according to Jesus, no one knows, not even himself. Which is a good thing. Because we know, and maybe you are, a procrastinator. And for those of us who sort of procrastinate about some things, the idea of knowing the exact time and hour and day wouldn't really matter anyway, right? We would probably wait till the last minute or live in denial that it's coming. So the idea is not to know when or or to try and identify as that time comes nearer, but to always stay ready, to always be alert, to always be prepared for whenever it comes. It's the not knowing that should influence how we live. Then Jesus offers up this story of Noah as an illustration, and and everybody knows the story of Noah. Even non-religious people know who Noah is. God told Noah to build a boat. And so he's obedient and he begins to build this boat and and people living around him are uh, ridiculing him and ignoring him and making fun of him and yet he continues to build this boat. They go on about their business. 
while Noah does what he's called to do. And then it happened. The rains came, and it was too late to prepare. They missed the sign, and it was right there. Noah's boat, it was huge. Jesus' message is one of caution. Pay attention. Be alert. Stay awake as the time draws near. In the past couple of weeks, I've read this text more than I can count, and I've read it in more translations than I even knew I owned. In fact, I was thinking about it. Uh, In fact, uh, Jason and I talked about it in Greek. I have worn this text out trying to figure out what's going on here because I'm not satisfied with the literal interpretation. In fact, I've been thinking about it as I've gone about my regular work around here doing those things that y'all ask me to do and hanging Christmas lights and changing light bulbs and dealing with computers. And then it struck me that I'm probably the only maintenance man that gets to preach on Sundays. (laughs) And so I'm grateful for that. But it's, it's, the text has been kind of, I've been turning it over and over and over in my head in, in, the, in the last few days. And I think there's something really significant going on here that we just might miss if we're satisfied with just the words on the page. In the, its context, this passage is, is rich. It's rich with meaning for followers of Christ. His apocalyptic language is not intended to be used as prognostication or or to point to the uh, world events as signs that it's getting nearer or here it comes or or to, to spurn some sort of change in behavior. They're meant to have influence over how we live. The same message is expressed several different ways in parables of uh, the ten bridesmaids, the talents, the faithful servant. Jesus communicates to any who are willing to hear that there is a preferred posture for these in-between times, for the time between when Christ came and, and pronounced the coming of the kingdom and when it will come in its fullness. There, there's a word for it. It's, it's liminal time. It's the already and the not yet. And so we know that Christ came and yet he's coming again. And we know that the kingdom has come but not yet in its fullness. And, and that's what Jesus is speaking into. Is pay attention in this in-between time. The bridesmaids went to sleep and were ill-prepared. The unfaithful servant was caught mistreating his fellow servants and the steward did not put to work that which was entrusted to him while the master was away. Those characters in those parables were left outside of the kingdom when the king returned. As followers of Christ, we're called to live in a permanent state of readiness. Which begs the question, do we really live as if it might happen tomorrow? 
And if we did believe that it might happen tomorrow, how would it change how we live today? That's the question that Jesus wants us to wrestle with. We're to be vigilant, to keep watch over our spiritual house and to stay alert to potential break-ins. We cannot allow ourselves to be lulled to sleep by what is going on around us or, or the comforts and conveniences of the world. One scholar that I recently read um, says that we are in jeopardy of entertaining ourselves to spiritual death, refusing to pause and give thought and consideration to greater things. We move from one type or source of entertainment to another until we fall asleep at the end of the day and, and we hardly ever pause and think about the greater things, and that is of Christ's return. Be diligent, Jesus says, in your preparation. I thought about that this week when our society barely allowed us to pause long enough to give thanks on Thursday and enjoy sharing a meal with our families before we were instructed to get out there and get more stuff. Time is running out. You couldn't, shouldn't be sitting at home. When did the traffic patterns to the mall and bargains become newsworthy anyway? But it was the lead story on every news channel on Thanksgiving Day. Jesus warns us in our text with a couple of nuances that I want us to consider today. You've likely heard his language around being taken and left in the context of what is called rapture theology, where the words are interpreted literally. If not directly in a church or some church teaching, you may be familiar with that popular series of fictional writings a few years ago that was built on that idea. Let me point out that prior to this illustration or the illustrations of being taken and left, Jesus imposes Noah into the conversation. The ancient fathers of the Christian faith interpreted the ark the boat, as a metaphor for the church. Not only the ark, but all of the boats in the New Testament. Jesus saved the disciples from the storm in a boat. Jesus preached from just offshore to the crowds in a boat. Peter's huge catch of fish was done from inside a boat. The disciples, uh, when, when heard over and against the story of Noah and the flood, to be taken would simply mean to be taken into the safety of the ark, the boat. In other words, the church. Jesus was speaking of something that had already happened and was offering it as a sign of how it will be again at the end of times 
And the church fathers would say those in the safety of the church when there was only one church, one and still is one church, one denomination, the church was the place to be taken into and to, be, to find safety in the world. We're not to conclude that eating and drinking or giving and receiving uh, are somehow grounds for eternal punishment, but that it's the comfortable, those who are distracted by ordinary occurrences of life who will find it most difficult to be vigilant toward Jesus' appearance rather than to be satisfied by the literal interpretation of being taken and left, let us consider another possibility. Jesus is clear in his preaching that the kingdom has come. In fact, in Luke he says, For it is this reason that I have come, to preach the good news of the kingdom. And the evidence of it is healing, and the hungry being fed, and the naked being clothed. And we see it even today, the love and mercy that is carried out in the world in the name of Christ are signs of the kingdom of God that has come and is coming. The Greek, translated as taken, might be better understood in the same way as a wife is to be taken, or a man to be taken as a, as a husband. Think about it this way. Two hear the gospel. One is captivated, taken by it. Another is not. In that sense, taken, those not taken would be left unchanged. They heard it, but it didn't matter. Two are standing side by side. Jesus appears in some way. One is taken by his presence, and the other is not. And this is an everyday occurrence. Jesus shows up. The kingdom becomes visible in real and tangible ways, and, and some are taken by it, and others are not. And it happens every day. Recently on this campus, a couple of weeks ago, I was walking across the, the campus and I asked how the, the food drive was going and to which the person on that particular day said, well, not too good, but we still have some time. And then you fast forward a few days and, and the person is calling and saying, hey, we need more room to put food. And now food is, is, is in the pantry and it's in the choir room and it's in the plumber building. The kingdom of God has come. Some will see it, some will not. And on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, where we normally have a limit of about 15 families, the church fed 24 families. The kingdom of God became visible in an instant. Some saw it, some experienced it, some responded to it, and some did not. To be vigilant in our watch for the coming kingdom, we must pay attention to what's going on around us and in our lives and, and in the lives of those 
who we encounter, where an instant, in an instant, the kingdom shows up. Jesus comes and lives are changed. Now to the astute hearer of this text, it is shocking for Jesus to compare himself to a thief. Did you hear it? Pay attention, he said. And and Paul used the same language when he said that the Lord will return like a thief in the night. What in the world? Comparing Jesus' return to a thief? For those who hold tightly to the things of this world and our very lives, to them the second coming of Christ and Christ's appearance will feel like robbery. It will seem as though something has been stolen. But for those who hold their life loosely and release the blessings that God has given us into the world for the sake of the kingdom in the world, the thief will only be a guest. Because see, the difference between the thief or an intruder and a guest really is in the one who receives them. Welcoming Jesus into our homes, holding loosely to those things of the world, including our very lives. On that same note, it is, it is how we are to respond to Jesus' call to come and die with me. If we've already died, the idea of death does not phase us one bit. So whether Christ returns or we die, the response of the faithful and vigilant Christian follower of Christ makes no difference. We are to be constantly looking forward to the certain and sudden appearance of Jesus. And this perspective will affect how we live each day. It helps us to see more clearly everything that's going on around us. And so as we head into another new year, especially one number 2020, let us focus our vision more clearly on the signs and the presence of Christ in the world and join the kingdom of God as it moves ever closer to its fullness. May the peace of Christ captivate your soul this Advent season. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand for this benediction. May you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, see clearly this season of Advent and in the years to come as we wait patiently for Christ's return. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, go in peace. Amen. Amen.